on-demand coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. April 2 edition, PFT PM. Thank God April the 1st didn't land on a Monday. First time I can remember April 1 being on Easter Sunday. It's been on Sunday before. I think between Sunday and Easter Sunday, people were less prepared to have April Fool's Day gags. As a result, it was boring, which is good, because you always have to be on the lookout, especially when the aggregation business, like we are to a certain extent. We used to be in the business of trying to fool people on April Fool's Day, ergo the name, but once you get to a certain size, you realize probably not a good idea to be putting intentionally fake information out there, especially nowadays, when there's a lot of intentionally fake information that isn't part of April 1st. But alas, next year, we'll be doing this on April 1st, on a Monday, and, you know, we'll have to be watching for the various gags that may get traction before people realize it's all a load of crap. Speaking of loads of crap, I give you the show. Sorry, it's the only segue I can think of. Five down territory, not a whole lot happening today, but some interesting dynamics as it relates to the draft. This Josh Rosen thing. Now, last week when Jim Morris said what he said on NFL Network about Sam Darnold from USC being a better fit for the Browns than Josh Rosen from UCLA, that got my attention because Rosen played for Mora at UCLA. And I thought then, and I still think, that Mora in his own quirky way was trying to help Rosen avoid the Browns. Now, was it part of a broader effort by Rosen to avoid the Browns? Based upon some of the conversations I had today, I don't believe Mora was directly or indirectly speaking on behalf of Josh Rosen. But I do think Mora believed he's being helpful. You know, sometimes people think they're being helpful and they're not really being helpful. Because I think the problem here, and Peter King and I traded some text messages about this, the problem here is that if Mora is trying to help Rosen avoid the Browns, some of the things Mora is saying could make other teams avoid Rosen. So, hey, congratulations, the Browns don't want you, but condolences, no one else does either. I don't think it quite goes that far, and I was surprised by the reaction to Mora's comment to Peter that, Rosen is a millennial and he wants to know why and like that's a bad thing it's good to be curious you want people to be curious natural curiosity is one of the things that will carry you farther in life than most anything else natural curiosity and resourcefulness those are the two main qualities for success you have to give a crap you have to want to know why you have to want to peel back layers you have to want to find things out, and you have to know how to go about getting what you need. It's one of the most important things taught by, of all things, video games. Resourcefulness. Manipulating your environment in a way that gets you what you need, whatever it is that you need, whatever your chosen line of work is. Throughout the course of the day, you will be facing, from time to time, a necessity of something. I need to get information. I need to get a thing. I need to get access to this. I need to get, I need something. How do I get it? How do I take advantage of the network that I have? How do I expand my network? How do I navigate the internet? Whatever it is, how do I get what I need? Curiosity and resourcefulness. I assume Josh Rosen is also a resourceful kid. I don't know how resourceful he has to be as a quarterback, but you know what? Pretty resourceful because you got to find a way to get through to your teammates. So for each individual player, there may be a different strategy for motivating them, for getting them to do what you want them to do, for how to talk to them. Resourcefulness and curiosity. Nothing wrong with curiosity. And any coach that thinks there's something wrong with curiosity is going to end up missing out on a guy that, that could help him win. The bigger question whether or not Rosen is looking for a way to avoid the Browns. I'm told that if the Browns draft him, he'll play for the Browns. Now, I think there's a chance. I don't know how significant of a chance there is. I think there's a chance that after visiting Cleveland and meeting with the coaching staff, 
gathering more information to satisfy his curiosity about what Hugh Jackson does or doesn't know about NFL offense, about what Todd Haley does or doesn't know, about how the two men will be interacting in an effort to get the most out of Joss Rosen. There's a chance that Rosen will decide that Cleveland is not the best fit for him. But if that happens, my guess is that Rosen will discreetly communicate that to the Browns, probably to general manager John Dorsey. And my understanding is when Rosen met with the Browns at the scouting combine, he came away from that interaction having a very positive feeling about Dorsey. If he doesn't have a positive feeling about Jackson and or Haley and believes the fit isn't there, that's when Rosen, and this is resourcefulness, what's the best way to implement? What's the best way to get what you need? You go to Dorsey and you say, hey, John, I don't want to embarrass the Browns. I know it's a tough time right now for Cleveland. I don't want to make the team look any worse, but I just don't think I'm the right guy. I don't think this is going to be good. And that's when Dorsey would have to say, if he really wants Rosen, something like, well, Josh, look, Hugh Jackson's not going to be the coach for very long, and you're not going to be playing as a rookie. So you just come in and you take notes. And come next year, when you're ready to take over, we'll have a coach that I've hired to get the most out of your skills and abilities. Something like that. Then you see if you can get him to buy in, if Rosen is the guy that Dorsey decides he wants. Or Dorsey could say, you know what? If he doesn't want to be here, then I want somebody who's all in. I respect the fact that he came to me and told me what he wanted and what he didn't want. And that he's not going to grandstand in the media and try to make me or the Browns look bad. It's easy to challenge the Browns right now. I mean, Cleveland fans wouldn't be happy about it. But fans of other teams would be like, yeah, we understand. Yeah, we wouldn't want our kids playing for the Browns either right now. Now, look, I still have hope that the Browns are going to turn it around. I still have the envelope over my desk that says five years from April, no, August. I got a little more time, not April, August of 2016. That's August 2021. The Browns will be regarded as a better franchise than the Cowboys. Clock is ticking. But I think Rosen has an open mind. And see, that's the, the, the weird thing here. All this talk about Rosen not wanting the Browns started when Shefty reported Sunday Splash, Week 16, Rosen was thinking about staying in school for another year if he thinks the Browns are going to take him first overall. And it was a stupid concept because you, you don't know before you have to declare for the draft whether or not the team that holds the number one pick wants you. And they're not going to tell you. It's not like Josh Rosen was going to call up Jimmy Haslam, John Dorsey, or Hugh Jackson in early January and say, hey, I'm trying to make a decision about my future here. And if you're going to draft me, I'm probably going to stay in school. If you're not going to draft me, I'm probably not going to stay in school. Can you tell me right now whether or not you're going to draft me. And the response would be, who is this? But the bigger problem with the report is that Rosen's curiosity prevents him from having any judgment, any decision, any lean without doing his work, without finding out more, without exploring whether Cleveland would be the right place or the wrong place. Rosen understands as does every other potential quarterback of the Browns, that they're going to build a statue of you while you're still playing if you can turn the Browns around. There's an attraction to that. You want to be the Patriots quarterback and add to their hall of trophies? Or do you want to be the guy that delivers the first Super Bowl appearance and Super Bowl victory for the Browns? I mean, there's a handful of teams out there where... You can become the first. You can become the legend. Bengals, Browns, Texans, Jaguars, Titans, and that's just the AFC. Chargers, teams that haven't won a Super Bowl. Lions, Vikings, who else? Panthers, Falcons, 
There's a lot of teams that haven't won a Super Bowl. And for a team that has been horrible for the last generation, horrible since returning to the NFL after a two-year, wait, three-year hiatus. They weren't in the NFL 96, 97, 98. They came back in 99. They've got one playoff appearance since then. They have one other winning season that didn't result in a playoff appearance. There's there's an attraction to being the quarterback that turns around the Cleveland Browns if you can be that guy. So here's, here's the bottom line. Mora may or may not have been trying to help Rosen. He was acting on his own either way. Rosen has yet to decide whether or not he believes the Browns are a fit. If he concludes that they're not, he would try to find a way to discreetly persuade the Browns to look elsewhere. If they draft him, he's going to suck it up and play for them if he decides it's not a good fit. Whatever team drafts him, he's going to play. He's not going to sit out the year because that's what he could do. And that's not an illogical proposition if he was thinking about, supposedly thinking about staying in school for another year to avoid the Browns. Well, it's a lot easier to avoid the Browns to say, hey, if the Browns draft me, I'm just going to sit out the whole year. Because the thing is, if he had stayed in school for one more year to avoid the Browns, first of all, he never would have admitted it. Second of all, next year, the Browns still could have drafted him, in theory. So I, I think that it made sense to explore that possibility, but I'm told that if the Browns draft him, even if he decides it's not a fit, he will play for the Browns. Now, Peter King also noted today that a friend of John Dorsey believes that Josh Allen, the Wyoming quarterback, will be the number one overall pick of the Browns. Friend of John Dorsey. Now that, who knows? But Dorsey has a history of big-armed guys, et cetera, et cetera, and maybe, maybe that's the case. And look, the Browns, on the surface, have no reason to keep their cards close to the vest because they control the board. But first of all, you've got the number one overall pick. You may as well milk it. Take full advantage of the mystery that comes from it. What do you, and, and Dorsey, when we talked to him last week at the league meetings, he clearly relished the fact that the Browns control something. The Browns have controlled very little recently. They control something. Victories over the last two years, one. Times they've held the number one overall pick over the last two years, one. So, did they have the first overall pick last year? I don't think so. I can't even remember. Isn't that funny? Like, when I hear it, I'll instantly say, oh, yeah, that's who had the number one overall pick. But I'd have to sit down and think who had the number one overall pick last year. Was it the Browns? I can't remember. Uh, I can't remember much anymore. Maybe that's a problem. Anyway, I do remember this. The report from Peter King about Josh Allen possibly being the number one overall pick of the Browns. Allen at one, Saquon Barkley at four. And there'll be an inclination by John Dorsey not to trade down. Now, here's the thing. It's easy to say that for now. Once a team puts together a trade proposal, that could change Dorsey's mind. You make him an offer he can't refuse, well, he can't refuse it. But I like the idea that this year there really isn't that clear-cut sense of of who the top pick is going to be and what the Browns are going to do, and, and maybe it'll come into focus. But the NFL likes it this way, too. You know, in theory... The Browns could sign the number one overall pick right now. Oh, it was it was the Browns last year. It was Miles Garrett. What the hell was I thinking? Yeah, and they passed on a quarterback again. Two straight years. They got the number one pick more time. More, they've had more number one overall picks than wins the last two years. So anyway, uh, maybe this is the year the Browns turn it around. And... Maybe they trade down, maybe they stand pat. Maybe they're going to enjoy every minute of it. And the NFL likes people not disclosing what they're going to do with that top pick. As I was saying, the Browns could sign the number one overall pick if they want to. The team with the number two pick, the Giants, could sign their pick after that. In theory, you could have the whole first round done by the time the draft starts. The NFL doesn't want that. Not not with the draft being the spectacle that it now is. And I think the word has gotten out to the teams. Just wait. Just do us a favor. The ultimate reality show's ultimate reality show is a little less real if people know ahead of time how the draft is going to play out. And I think the Browns like that. You know, free agency 
has slowed down to a trickle. And it's amazing to me that the headline for April 2nd, nearly three weeks after free agency began, Coney Ely taking a visit to the Cowboys. Coney Ely, first visit for Ely since free agency began. And this is a guy who two years ago, if he would have been a free agent on the heels of Super Bowl 50, when he had three sacks for the Panthers and a loss to the Broncos, the guy would have cashed in. He would have cashed in. It all proves the timing, or the importance, rather, of timing when it comes to becoming a free agent. He would have been the next Larry Brown. Remember him? He had the interceptions in Super Bowl Thirty. Got paid a bunch of money. Desmond Howard, kickoff return in Super Bowl Thirty-One for a touchdown. Great performance. He was the MVP of that game, I think. Parlayed that into a bunch of money. Dexter Jackson, the Super Bowl 37 MVP, parlayed that into a bunch of money. Guys who never really lived up to what they did in that Super Bowl. Coney Ealer would have gotten paid a ton of money, especially coming off of that Super Bowl because that Super Bowl underscored the value of pass rushers. you got to go out and pay pass rushers. you got to compile pass rushers. If you get to the quarterback, no matter how good the quarterback is, you got a chance to beat the team you're facing. Ealer would have been paid an obscene amount of money. Instead... He was kind of blah the next year with the Panthers. They traded him to the Patriots. The Patriots cut him, and then he landed with the Jets. He played just over 40% of the defensive snaps and had 14 tackles, one sack, and an interception, starting four of 15 games. And now he's an afterthought. He's in phase four or five of free agency. Now, look, he probably would have been cut by now, right, two years after getting that that big money deal he would have gotten, but at least he would have gotten a big money deal. He hasn't gotten crap since Super Bowl 50. More on the draft. Ohio State linebacker Jerome Baker says that one coach asked, what would I do if he punched me in the face right now? And as crazy questions go, This one's a heck of a lot better than do you like boys or girls? Or is your mother a prostitute? I don't think there's anything inappropriate per se about saying to a guy, hypothetically, if I punched you in the face right now, what would you do? Because football players are going to be punched in the face. Literally and figuratively. You're going to have moments where you're on the wrong end of a display of aggression. It's going to happen on the field between the snap and the whistle. It's going to happen after the whistle. It's potentially going to happen in the locker room when you got a teammate that thinks you owe him $600 because you didn't show up for his football camp and he's pissed off and he punches you in the face. What are you going to do if I punch you in the face? That's one area where the stereotypical jock question makes sense because you may get punched in the face. What will this guy do if someone punches him in the face? Well, there's one way to find out. Hey, man, what would you do if I punch you in the face right now? Baker said, Coach, no disrespect, but if you punch me in the face, we're going to fight. <laughs> and, and he thinks that, that the coach liked that. I like that. Punch me in the face, we're going to fight. Because you will get punched in the face. And, and that is one area where... What would seem like an inappropriate question for any other job is okay for the NFL. Because, yeah, you're going to get punched in the face. Football players in the NFL believe they'll eventually be punched in the face with flags and fines and or suspensions arising from this new helmet rule. Yeah, I was thinking about this earlier today. And and so much of this stuff just kind of happened last week. They really didn't want us, us in the media, us as fans, they really didn't want us to know about it. They really didn't. And usually there's transparency. When you change the catch rule, there's so much transparency and there's discussion and and they seek input from former players and you feel like they're turning stones over to get people to buy in. With this, there's no transparency, which tells me whatever they said in the room to get the owners to be okay with it conceptually and to get 32 with coaches and owners, they're all on board with this, at least for now. 
It tells me they must have said something that scared the crap out of everybody. That there's a reason. Unrelated to, you know, some pressing need from a football standpoint to remove these hits to the helmet. Whether it was stats relating to the decline in participation in youth football, whatever it was. Somebody got scared. Enough people got scared that they agreed to this. Because think of how how backward this is. They've passed the rule. And they're going to figure out what the rule means, what its contours are, what its limits are, how it will be enforced, how, how it will be implemented. They're going to figure that all out later. The owners have given the powers that be a blank check to just come up with it on the fly. And whatever it is, wherever it goes, whatever it does, they're not going to have another vote. They've already approved it. It's already going to happen. They had to have made a presentation, some sort of a safety presentation that scared the shit out of enough people that they said, we got to have this rule. We've got, we got to do this. Because the players are the ones who don't like it. Peter mentioned that today. You know, that's the irony is that the players who play aggressively and get themselves injured and suffer concussions, they're the ones who don't like this rule that is going to limit, if it's properly shaped and implemented and enforced, it's going to result in in uh, more players being penalized and, and fewer head injuries. And, and I saw this quote, too, that was last week from Rich McKay, the Competition Committee Chairman. Peter has this as one of his quotes of the week. I would imagine Deacon Jones was pretty unhappy when they outlawed the head slap. That's how he learned to play the game. It was a technique then, but that was change that was necessary at the time. This is change now. Change is hard. It's not for punishment. It's for protection. That's fine, but the head slap, very easy to see when someone does it. It's a very specific, narrow technique. No more head slap. Okay, fine. With this rule, it's it's got the potential to be so much more expansive and so much more encompassing. And there's so much we don't know. And the owners have basically said, here, take the money and figure out how you want to spend it. You've been pre-authorized to do whatever the hell you want to do. And that amazes me. That fascinates me. It tells me. It convinces me. You couple that with the fact that they didn't want us to know what was going on. They deliberately kept it from the media and from the fans. There's something out there that they're scared to death of. And maybe it's a combination of current youth participation levels plus plus this possibility of a CTE test that will reveal the presence of the disease in living patients. The moment that they can start diagnosing chronic traumatic encephalopathy in people who are not dead, in people who are still playing with a blood test, saliva test, urine test, they're in the process of figuring that out now. If they can ever do that and guys find out they've got CTE during their playing careers, high school, college, pro, and they say, that's it, I'm out. That's the thing that could destroy football. Because it's one thing to have this vague sense that, well, maybe I have it and maybe it's going to affect me. It's, and then you find out. It's like doing one of those genetic tests that says you're predisposed to getting some type of cancer. Once you know that you are and there are things you can do to avoid the worst case scenario, well, you, you do those things. And in the case of CTE, you have it. Well, I'm going to stop playing football. That's it. It's in black and white. I'm not going to delude myself. I'm not going to give in to that one genetic defect that in part makes us great as humans. It allows us to take real risks and do big things. That that belief that nothing bad is ever going to happen to us, we each carry that around. And at that age, you think you're going to live forever. Oh, yeah, I know all these people get old and die, but that's not going to happen to me. I feel great. I look great. I am great. I'm never going to change. I'm immune from those things. I'd say there's a high percentage of guys playing football at a high level in late high school, early college that believe that. You give one of those guys the sobering reality that they have CTE already, it goes a long way toward piercing that bubble and making people grow up and realize, yes, you are going to age. Yes, you are going to be unable to do the things you do now. And yes, as strange as it may seem right now, you will die. All right, before the show dies for the day, let's take a look at some of the questions. And But before I answer the questions, I'm, I'm looking at Twitter and Chris Sims and I did the draft today on the coaches you would want if you're starting a franchise. 
and I was the clear winner. He went Bill Belichick, Pete Carroll, Sean Payton. I went Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, and Doug Peterson. You're starting a franchise. Belichick and Carroll are pushing 70. And and also, you drop Bill Belichick into a new franchise, it's going to take four or five years for him to get it to where he wants it to be from a personnel standpoint, from a facility standpoint. You don't just start a franchise and say, hey, Bill's our coach. And, hey, Bill, there's our there's our locker room. There's our facilities. No, he's going to want it a certain way, and it's not something you do immediately. It took him a long time to get the Patriots to where they are now. And by then, he's 71, 72. So, anyway, I was the clear winner, but the vote that we have, I'm going to have to not mention this tomorrow. The vote that we have uh, at Twitter, Sims has 59%. I don't like that very much. All right, I like that I have some questions to answer, and it's not a crippling number. We've had more than 60 in the past. It's just 32 today. Let's see what the real questions are, and let's see what uh, would be better suited for the April 1 trash heap. At JRUP900, is there a chance the Jets do anything cool this draft? Well, I don't know what cool would be. If cool is don't screw it up, if cool is get somebody who's going to be a contributor, if cool is drafting the first franchise quarterback the franchise will have had since Joe Namath, then that would be pretty cool. And and I'll admit that my, my thinking has changed since 16 days ago when the Jets traded up from 6-3. to three. I really did think that the Jets were intent on getting Saquon Barkley at 3 because I couldn't wrap my brain around the idea that they would willingly take, necessarily, the third quarterback on their board because they've got the third pick, and quarterback, quarterback, quarterback is how it could go, and whoever they like first and second could be gone by the time they get to three, and they may be fine with that. Although the the buzz continues to be Baker Mayfield is who they are eyeballing, and they believe he will be there at three. But yeah, I think it's already kind of cool that the Jets seem to be going for it. You know, the Jets have just been kind of treading water. I think the key now is, with Tom Brady in the final years of his career, he has to be in the final years of his career, right? He's not going to play another 10 years. You lay the foundation to have a team that becomes competitive as that post-Brady era begins to unfold in New England. At Terry Gensler 14, don't offensive linemen lower their heads on every run play when blocking? Will this new rule be called on them more than holding? Here's the thing. Offensive linemen don't lower their heads when blocking. Their heads are already lowered. They fire out head first into the opponent. You don't get up and then dip your head. So I think they're already immune from that concept of three-point stance and firing out. Now, if they start in a two-point stance and they dip their head and and initiate contact, then I guess that would be a problem. And that's where this is going to be the strangest rule to figure out. Between the tackles on a running play. Yes, you've got offensive linemen initiating contact helmet first with defensive linemen. You've got defensive linemen initiating contact helmet first with offensive linemen. You've got running backs who are coming through the hole and they're dropping their head and they're initiating contact helmet first with anyone. Will there just be no running game anymore other than outside runs? Is the inside running game done? You're not going to have guys running in straight up. Although, well, there's some guys in the NFL right now who kind of have that style and it, and it shows in their ineffectiveness, straight-up running style. You get knocked down. You're either going to be the guy that is lowering your helmet or you're going to be the guy that is lowering your helmet to hit that guy. And I don't think there's any way to change that, short of completely ruining the sport by throwing a flag on every single play. At AntFrask23, are the Bears a sleeper to trade back with Buffalo? I see the Denver-Indianapolis scenarios. No team picking between 5 and 10 is drafting a quarterback. Why would Buffalo move up to 5-6 when they can move up to 8 and give up less? Also, the Bears don't have a third pick. I, I don't know. I think, I mean, the problem is you wait till 8. By then, Allen, Darnold, Rosen, Mayfield may be gone. I mean, even though the Bills are intent on getting a franchise quarterback this year, I just don't think they're willing to take any. It still has to be a guy they love. And I think they're going to figure out who they love, and then they're going to figure out what it takes to go get him. But they were very well positioned to make the move all the way to number two, and a lot of people believe that's what they're going to do. they got two first-round picks, 12 and 22. they got two second-round picks, two third-round picks. You give up all that to move up to two? Would the Giants say no to that? 
dropping from 2 to 12, picking up 22, picking up two second-round picks and two third-round picks. Would the Giants say no to that? Maybe they got to throw in a first-round pick next year, too, to get it done. I, I don't know. I don't know what what the climb will be from 12 to 2. It's usually driven by who the player is. And I think that's one of the reasons why the Giants are doing the workup on quarterbacks, even if they don't take one. They have to do their evaluation, as Tony Dungy said on PFT Live 10 days ago. They have to do their evaluation to make their decision. But also, you're not trading up for the second pick. You're trading up for a player. Washington traded up six years ago for RG3. They didn't trade up for the second overall pick. So the price tag was the sixth overall pick plus two first-round picks plus a second-round pick. So what will it take to go not from six to two, but 12 to two? And it depends upon who the Bills would be taking. And the Giants will know how to how to put a price tag on that because the Giants are looking at the same guys the Bills are looking at as a potential quarterback. At Iowa Vikes fan, explain how contracting incentives-based achievements work against the salary cap. If they don't tie up any money unless achieved, why don't all quarterback contracts exclusively include a win-the-Super Bowl incentive, i.e. Nick Foles? Seems like a no-brainer win-win for both sides. Well, here's the thing. Look, uh, uh, first of all, I prefer team-based incentives to individual incentives because I think individual incentives can warp and skew the effort to try to win games, right? You A playing time incentive, well, I want to be on the field. I don't care if we're winning or losing. I just want to be on the field. Performance, passing yards, rushing yards, receiving yards, whatever it is, you lose sight of the importance of winning games. Now, a Super Bowl incentive is great, for the team because, hey, we'll gladly pay a Super Bowl incentive. In 2015, the Broncos took $4 million of Peyton Manning's salary and and made it a incentive based upon winning the Super Bowl. That's great. Because if we win the Super Bowl, we'll gladly give the $4 million. And they did have to give the $4 million. But for the player, you really want to tie up significant money and something that you can only partially control? So I, I just I say pay the guy what you're going to pay the guy. Right, And I know you want to protect yourself against bad performance, but playing time... Now, per-game roster bonuses are a different way to deal with playing time. If you're healthy and you're able to play, so be it. But even then, what if you make the decision one week? What if, what if it's a guy who, who just, you know, he's having a rough stretch and he's kind of banged up, but he's not so injured that he can't play, but you tell him, why don't you take the week off? And then you're losing a significant chunk of money because you took the week off. I just I don't like any of that. I, I know that teams need to incentivize players sometimes. I just don't like tying anything into an objective other than team performance. And if I'm one player on a team of 53, I don't know how much of my compensation I want tied up in what the other guys around me do. Because then you're more likely to get pissed off when guys aren't carrying their weight. Although maybe that's good. Maybe that adds to the accountability. Maybe if everyone had incentives based upon performance of the team, they'd all play harder. Or if half the team did, that half of the team would squeeze the other half of the team to play harder, prepare harder, study film, and all that jazz. At Flip Mode Squad 41, PFT, did I miss a mock draft from you guys, or did you not post one? Thank you, and have a good day. Here's my position on mock drafts, as it stands right now. I I don't like them. There's enough news, there's enough basis to drive the discussion without creating this phony template of who gets drafted where and when. And I'll do one before the draft. I'll do it whenever I choose to do it. And I won't do 10 different versions. I think a pre-free agency mock draft is a waste of everyone's time, specifically the person putting it together, because free agency addresses needs and creates needs that you otherwise aren't thinking of. But I understand that in the in the draft industrial media complex... There is value because people sit around looking at these things and pondering the permutations and, I don't know, maybe I've been doing this too long, maybe I'm just getting too old for this crap. It just no longer excites me. And and, and I've got license, thank God, we've been moderately successful. If there's something about the job that I don't like, I just don't do it. I don't like doing mock drafts. And you know what? There's nobody else at PFT that is saying, hey, can I go ahead and do a mock draft? Well, we got enough stuff to focus on enough real news that people want to read about to not have to delve into the, uh, the, 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 the mock. We can focus on the real. We, 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 we don't, we don't, uh, have to focus on the, the not real.
but we will one time before the draft, and the draft is coming. At half a mil for Ball, what's up with Amari Cooper and the drops? What's wrong with Des Bryant? They both had some crazy regressions. Look, I, you know, Des Bryant is playing with a quarterback that doesn't trust him the way that his last quarterback did. Des Bryant can catch the 50-50 balls, but you have to have a quarterback who can at least put it in the vicinity for the 50 that you want to have happen. And, you know, there were some times last year where Dak Prescott didn't put it close enough for Des Bryant to go get it. And and uh, when it comes to drops, I mean, there's all sorts of factors that can play into that. I don't know what the deal with Amari Cooper is. I like the fact that John Gruden, who can't work directly with his players until the offseason program opens, is taking advantage of his ability to communicate with them through the media. And he's made it clear he expects Amari Cooper, needs Amari Cooper to step up. We'll see what both teams do this year. We'll see if Des Bryant's even with the Cowboys. At Paul PJ 5 why does Nike keep remaking team jerseys? It seems most get worse. Vikings, Seahawks, and maybe the Lions got better uniforms. Oh, look, the Browns are already moving on to second generation regeneration of uniforms. The Jaguars had new Nike-fied uniforms, and now they're getting rid of them. This was my concern when Nike got the contract, that Nike is going to try to push and push and push and push for change and change and change and change. They can't just be content with the way things are, because one of the ways you sell more jerseys is to have new jerseys. And I, I don't like it. Now, I know I get off my lawn, but I like the classic looks. I like the old school looks. I like the the just the the, the, the where you turn you 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 know look at the Cowboys. What what have the Cowboys done to their uniforms? What have the Packers done to their uniforms? It was a big deal 20 years ago when the Steelers took their numbers and went rounded instead of that block, and they put a Steelers logo on the side that that doesn't have it on the helmet. I like the classic looks the year to year you you can count on it and how many teams you can count on one hand how many teams adhere to that that's the way to go but that's not the way to sell a bunch of new jerseys because you'd like to and, and this is what happens when you're a bad team that can't generate that excitement through performance on the field and when you have great players on the field people buy the jersey no matter what they look like so you come up with new jerseys to get people excited and i don't like it I don't like it one bit. And Nike's extended its deal with the NFL, so, you know, it's going to continue. At A2 low 11, if Elway doesn't like the quarterbacks and Bradley Chubb is sitting there, can you see the Broncos and 49ers trading history of trades with Lynch? Trading history. I don't know that that makes sense. Trading history of trades. You're saying that the 49ers would trade up to get Bradley Chubb and... The Broncos would trade down. I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who's there at five, and I think the Broncos can go in different directions. They could trade up to two with the Giants. They could trade back. They could take the pick. They need to do something, though. Five and 11 last year, not acceptable. And if they have another losing season, it'll be the first time since 71-72 that the Broncos have had consecutive losing seasons. At McKinley Sayre, who's going to make a more meaningful impact for the Vikings next year, Laquan Treadwell or Kendall Wright? Well, given that Jarius Wright's gone and Kendall Wright was a slot receiver last year and he has a better chance of being a good slot receiver, and Laquan Treadwell, just for whatever reason, isn't getting it done to the point where Mike Zimmer recently suggested he may need a change of scenery, that's not good. You know, some of these receivers work out and some of them don't. Laquan Treadwell has not worked out for the Vikings. Kendall Wright was a first-round pick who was good, not great, but... Uh, you know, Jarius Wright's gone. I'm assuming they got Kendall Wright for less than they were going to pay Jarius Wright. And that's kind of what you have to do when you're going to pay $28 million a year to your quarterback. At username taken, what's the biggest challenge the NFL faces in 2018? What's well, going to be figuring out this freaking helmet rule? How's this helmet rule going to be applied? How often is the flag going to be thrown? We really need answers to that. We'll find out late May. The next time the owners meet, May 21 to 23. So it's something to pay attention to. And if I'm the, own, the the coaches, I want to know damn well what these rules are before mandatory minicamps, before OTAs, because i got to be able to coach this to my players. So, I, look, again, maybe coaches are going to get pissed off later, but the fact that the coaches are okay with this, the fact that the owners unanimously agreed to it, somebody went in there and scared the crap out of these people to get them to agree to this, to this procedure of, okay, do whatever you want, We've already, we've already agreed to anything and everything that it is 
that uh, we can possibly allow the league office to do, and now the league office is going to do it. At the Impact 99, is John Gruden making the Raiders better with veterans or taking away from what the Raiders had going before his arrival? Maybe maybe a little of both. I, I don't know. I think he's addressing the areas that he feels like he needs to address in order to make the team better and or in order to make the team reflect his vision for what it should be, if that makes any sense. That's what I think. He thinks he's improving it. Is he improving it? I don't know. But he thinks he's improving it. And he thinks he's making the team better, not making it worse. And I think the team will be better this year because Gruden has that impact of kicking everyone in the ass and getting more the first year. It's year two, year three, year four, year five, year six, year seven, where maybe it gets a little more challenging, where maybe it gets a little more stale, where maybe people start getting sick of Gruden's way. I think it's going to be a good thing for Gruden to come in and turn this thing around. Whether it continues, whether they continue to improve, whether they compete for championships remains to be seen. Another question from the Impact 99. Where do the Raiders play next season? Next season, we know they play in Oakland. 2019, we don't know where they're going to play because their new stadium opens in 2020. So are they going to do another one-year lease? They did a three-year, well, they did three one-year leases for Oakland. And Oakland's thinking about suing the Raiders and the NFL. Would the Raiders want to stay in Oakland in 2019 if they're the subject of litigation? Would Oakland even want them? Is there some temporary location they'd play at? Would they go to Las Vegas and play at Sam Boyd Stadium for a year? I don't know. Don't know. But And, and it, it, that's what struck me about John Gruden's introductory press conference back in January. At one point he said, well, we got one more year in Oakland. And then he said, we got two years in Oakland. Nobody knows whether it's one or two. We know it's one at least. Will it be two? We don't know. And is there a chance that the stadium won't be ready in 2020? There's a chance. I mean, they already pushed back the timetable for the new L.A. stadium by a year. There's a chance something could happen that would slow it down. Right now, August 1, 2020 is the target for the opening. At username taken, the new leading rule with the helmet is unenforceable and ridiculous. Will it be amended, overturned, thrown out for what? No, it's, it's not. It's not. The question is, how will it be crafted? Again, I've never seen this, where the NFL has made this blanket rule suggestion. And then they have gone back and will have the ability to go back and refine it without any further votes. They are allowed to make this as broad as they want, as narrow as they want. They've been given this license to do it, and now they're going to figure it all out later. And there's something about it that stinks to me. And I'm concerned that it's going to affect football in a very profound and negative way. At Ntothyall32, will you watch the Masters this weekend? I don't know. It depends on whether or not there's any paint drying around or grass growing or cement setting. I, I may watch some of it. I don't know. I don't get excited for it. I, I Look, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. If, if we, we got people that want to go down to the barn and hang out and watch the, the Masters, then, then uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll go get myself a nice Lego set and work on that. I just, I just can't sit there and watch golf. I can't. I won't. Maybe I will. At Derek... Broom, have you ever realistically thought about becoming an agent or has the PFT empire always been the dream? Well, look, the PFT empire was never, I don't know what it, it just kind of happened. But I, 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 being an agent, it's a tough time to be an agent. You got two members of the NFLPA's executive committee that want to do away with agents systematically. A lot more travel than I have now, a lot more uncertainty, very competitive, very cutthroat. I don't know. The, the gathering clients, recruiting clients, I know some agents who are like on the road for 28 straight days in the fall when you're going from city to city trying to recruit these guys, setting up meetings. I'm not real good at kissing butt. You got to kiss a lot of butt to get clients. My attitude would be, hey, look, I, I can negotiate a great deal for you. And if you want to hire me, hire me. If you don't, don't. That's not the way to get clients. Because these are young kids who are waiting for people to pursue them and chase them and make marketing guarantees. They still allow that where basically you're paying the kid an advance against what he will make marketing. And, you know, it's a way to pay them. It's a way to give them money now. Hey, here's 75 grand. And then the kid realizes on the back end, he's got to go to all these crummy autograph signings for the next five years to make back the 75 grand he's already been paid. So it's just, it's, it's, it's a tough business. It's a competitive business. It's a cutthroat business. And it's it's a thankless business when you've got prominent players who don't think that these guys are providing real value when I believe they are, 
And I've written that over and over again and tried to demonstrate how a good agent provides value. It's just not something I'm interested in. What I'm doing now is a hell of a lot easier. Just don't tell anybody or all those agents will quit doing what they're doing and try to do what I'm doing. Uh, at RevWebs219, was Ian Rappaport the person who hates you that you kept running into in Orlando? No, no, no. Now, if you don't know who it is, Rev Webbs, you're not paying enough attention to the PFTPM podcast. At Blake 95 similar to your coach question on PFT Live, who will, who will be the top three quarterbacks you'd start a franchise with? I think we already do that. Didn't we do that already? If we didn't do it already, we'll do it at some point coming up. At Toddster1224, it was on the Easter menu, whiskey or wine. Just, just a little wine with dinner. Saturday night in the barn for the final four, a little, little more, a little more wine and whiskey than I had anticipated. Uh, so we went easy yesterday on Easter Sunday. Also, you know, work day. You got that 5 a.m. wake up call. You want to be prudent on uh, on those Sundays. We did go bowling last night. We found a bowling alley that was open. Bowling's my new thing, even though I suck at it. I I, I think I got lucky. I got a 144, then I got a 145. The first two times I went. This past weekend, not good. I broke 100 once. I just, I got to get that, the, the, the stats called it the arm slot. You get, so, so you're consistently delivering it in the same spot. If I could do that, I could break 150. And if I break 150, sky's the limit. I did order shoes. I want my own shoes. I looked up shoes and they have left-handed shoes. Why the hell would they have left-handed shoes? So I figured, well, if there's a difference, maybe that'll make the difference. I'm left-handed. I got left-handed bowling shoes coming tomorrow. We'll see if that does anything. At Toddster1224, if Kraft doesn't allow Bill Belichick to trade Gronkowski, do you see Bill walking away? I, there's a lot of supposition and assumption in there. I, I don't... I, I, I think if Belichick wants to trade Gronkowski, he's trading Gronkowski. And if for some reason Robert Kraft would say you're not trading Gronkowski, I don't think that blows everything up in April or May. And, and my theory slash hypothesis slash whatever is that maybe the Patriots already have a deal with someone who has a pick in the first round, and the Patriots know that it's better to not let that deal be known until that pick's on the clock because you don't want to step into the shoes of that other team. Whatever pick it is, you don't want people to know you have it before it's on the clock because then you have to worry about somebody trying to figure out what you're going to do and what you're looking at and trying to leapfrog you to get the guy that you really want. Uh, At... Drunk Breer, is Florio going to let any of the refugees that are currently in Mexico marching toward the United States stay with him in his sprawling mansion? I don't know what the hell you're talking about. You are drunk, Breer. You you are. I'll have what he's having. Uh, at Grant Rogers 56, how do I get rid of silverfish from my kitchen pantry? Uh, good question. At Stephen A, will the Bills skip drafting a quarterback and take advantage of the draft stock they have? And also, is A.J. McCarron a starting caliber quarterback? Uh, I look. I, I I think the Bills have decided they need a franchise quarterback, and they're going to do everything they can to get a franchise quarterback. The moment they benched Tyrod Taylor last year, when the team was competitive and contending, I think the message was we need a franchise quarterback. Tyrod Taylor's not it. Let's see if Nathan Peterman can be it. They found out quickly he's not it, and now they uh, they they lay the foundation to get a guy that will allow them to contend. They made it to the playoffs last year on some fluke that happened in a different game. You don't want to rely on that, or you're not going to get to the playoffs very often. You want to have a great quarterback. If you have a great quarterback, you're in contention for the playoffs every single year. At Rev Markworth, what was the best April Fool's prank you pulled or had pulled on you? You know, this one wasn't uh, an, an April Fool's prank. It was an Easter prank, but since Easter was on April Fool's, this was my favorite. It was late 1980s. I was 21, 22 years old. And we would color eggs every year, hard-boiled eggs, and you color them, right? And I was grown up, and there were no kids around at the time. It was before my nephew and my niece were born. But my mom, you know, you still do the same rituals because the empty nest thing. So you got to color some eggs to put in the empty nest. So we'd color the eggs. And I got this idea that, well, the the uh, the bowls were out. We always had the bowls of the liquid. And and you had that that wire, that little wire thing that the egg fit in, and you just dip it down, and you roll it around. It makes that clunky sound in the bowl. I always like that. So I took a raw egg and I colored it and I put the raw egg in with the hard boiled eggs and, uh, you know, I didn't eat the eggs, so I didn't have to worry about it. So my dad was the one who got the raw egg and, you know, (laughs) I wasn't there when it happened. Uh, 
But uh, And by the time I got home, he was not nearly as pissed off as he was when it did happen. So I didn't really get to enjoy it. But if I'd have been there to enjoy it, I probably wouldn't have enjoyed it. Uh, because I'd have been there for dad, uh, you know, dad, dad surrendered the alpha male role when I was about 14. Cause that was when I passed him up in height. He was about five, seven. I don't know how I ended up five eleven. I really, and you, people think I'm short. I'm five eleven and three quarters, one quarter, but, uh, he was pretty mad then. I don't know what he would have done. So that, that was the best Easter gag. And since Easter was on April fools this year, I'll take that. Uh, at Stephen A., has there ever been a quarterback that threw his draft stock down so he could be drafted by a better team like Lamar Jackson, knowing having no agent would affect his draft stock, so Patriots or Jacksonville? Now, I, I look, I do know this, that in 2012, Robert Griffin III had no desire to be drafted by the Colts. He wanted to be drafted by Washington. He refused to visit the Colts. He refused to do a private workout with the Colts. He wanted to be taken by Washington. He saw a quicker path to a second contract there and more marketing dollars. And it's just one versus two. And now that there's a rookie wage scale, there's less money that you lose by going a little bit later. So I don't know how much it's been deliberately thrown. I think agents try to finesse it behind the scenes. And if there's a team that the agent doesn't think the player should go to and the player's on board, but there is a way to try to get that that team to shy away from a guy. You just say, oh, I'm not, we're, we're not giving you a private workout. So it makes it a lot harder to roll the dice and draft a guy that refused to give you a private workout. Uh, okay, I think that's it for today. Almost a full hour. I didn't think we had that much, but I appreciate the questions and appreciate you and appreciate the fact that we are rolling forward toward the draft 24 days away. Plenty of stuff every day on PFT Live. Chris Sims will be back in tomorrow. Plenty of stuff around the clock at profootballtalk.com. Stay with us through the draft and beyond the draft. It really won't slow down until the middle of June, and even then we will find content each and every day at profootballtalk.com. Thanks as always, and we will talk to you again soon. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk.